Lord. Father, we thank you for the privilege of lifting up praise to you, Lord. Lord, that you have given us each a revelation of your goodness, your kindness, your generosity towards every single one of us. Lord, that you've richly given us salvation. Lord, that you've given us an understanding of who your son is. And Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we ask you that you would continue to work in our hearts and in our lives, that Lord, integrity would flow from the inside to the out. Lord, we want to be a Christian people that reveal the glory of God. We want to be a people that know how to walk in the integrity of the word and reveal Christ through our lives. But Lord, we know it's a challenge. We know it's difficult. And Lord, we ask you today that you would be here present by your spirit to speak to every heart, to witness to every heart that we too can walk in knowledge of who you are. We too can walk with hearts that are aligned to your plan and purpose for us. We can walk out that challenge of Peter to be holy just as our Father in heaven is holy. Lord, we know that you're going to do something significant in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise. Wonderful. Take your seats. Take a moment. Grab someone around you. Just give them a big smile. Welcome them to today's 2.30 service. It's always good to know the person sitting on your left, sitting on your right. Wonderful. We're going to continue this series today um, on integrity, and we're switching up a little bit. It was supposed to be integrity in the church, but I'm going to be looking at the topic, integrity when no one but God is watching. Um, And next week, Jono will be finishing up the series with a look at the church. We've been uh, actually going to continuing that series into the next month uh, because we believe there's something in this. We looked at uh, the very start on finances. Last week, Chris explored the whole issue of integrity in the workplace and living aligned um, with who we believe we are in Christ. And next week, obviously, we're looking at the church. And here today, we're going to look at the idea of internal integrity. What kind of integrity do we have when nobody is watching. Going to get into a few stories with you very, very shortly. Last week, Chris highlighted a few of the meanings of integrity. I want to refresh them for us today so that we can keep the context in terms of where we're going. Integrity can mean honesty and having strong moral principles. It is the quality of being whole and undivided. It is an internal consistency with a lack of corruption, or it is a unified or sound in construction. If we take that last one and apply it practically, what that means is integrity is tested relative to the designed purpose. Now, all of you know about those scooters that everyone's had. You've got the little scooters from the naught to five-year-olds and then the young adult ones and then those big adult ones where they, they go cruising around on those scooters. You know the ones I mean, right? If I was to take one of those tiny little five-year-old plastic scooters and put a five-year-old on it, that thing would work a dream. It would be running down the street. They'd be rocking the brake on the back foot. Parents running behind, don't go into the road, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But if I was to come along and stand on that five-year-old's scooter, what would happen? (laughs) Probably break it in about 50 pieces. This is what we're looking at when we explore the idea of integrity. See, we have a designed purpose. We have a call from God that we are called to walk out and work out through the way that we live our lives, and yet so many of us find it a massive challenge. Can I get an amen? Any of you finding it hard working the Christian life, walking the Christian life? So true, isn't it? Now, before you jump in and on the other end of the spectrum and say, you know what, I've not got an integrity problem, I want you to consider Gideon. We're not going to read the passage, but in Judges 6, you find that Gideon 
is blaming everybody else but himself for the situation that he finds himself in. He's there threshing the wheat, and God comes up to him and says, Arise, mighty man. And his first answer to God is, If there's a God in heaven, why is this happening to us as a people? That's about the furthest from Gideon that he could get, blaming God and the whole nation. And God comes to him again and calls him a mighty man again. This time, he reflects a little bit closer. Well, me and my father's family, we're from a a group of people that are really insignificant. We're the smallest tribe and we're the smallest clan within that tribe. Why are you talking to me? Again, the problem was really far removed. Then God comes and approaches him a third time. And this time, the problem that he's approaching him within is with his own family. His father is an idol worshiper. His father has built a statue to, to the god Baal. And he is challenged by God to now deal with something in his own backyard, his father's idolatry. And he is called to go and destroy that idol. And he's so scared that he does it in the middle of the night. And then when he wakes up, the ne- everyone wakes up the next day, he sort of tries to deal with the consequences then. But then there's a fourth time that God comes to him. And now this issue of his heart and his life has gone from being a far off, this is the national problem, this is, I'm an insignificant person in an insignificant family, I have a dad issue, to now, do you really trust God, Gideon? Do you really trust God? And that's where he takes the, uh, the fleece, sets it outside, and says, okay, God, if you're really God and you're really with me, let the ground be dry, fleece be wet, and then vice versa, let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And God proves himself both times. But you see the way that this progressed as Gideon went deeper with God. He went from blaming everybody else to coming to, into confrontation with the idea, do I really, really, really trust God? Where do you find yourself if you reflect on your present situation? Is it, is it everyone else's fault? You know, if only the church in England would sort themselves out, you know, they would make some good decisions about uh, the controversies around abortion or homosexual marriage or, or the problems in, the, in, in church leadership with regard to sexual infidelity, all of those kinds of things. If, if only they would just sort everything out, then I will suddenly light up as a fire, a burning Christian blaze, then I will take my place in the great revival. Or do we say, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting for my family issues to get sorted out. You know, just, you know, me and my dad, we still haven't connected, or me and my mom, you know, she's disowned me or whatever. And, and, and you know, when I get that sorted out, then I'm going to be this blazing revival bringer. Or is there a reality that there's something that's going on inside of us that we need to bring out before God and say, God, this is really holding me back in terms of my walk with you. This is really limiting my capacities to walk as an on-fire Christian. And Colin's been speaking about this in the 9 and 11 o'clock services in this entire series on where are you, man of God. So the David, Elijah, and um, Samson messages that he's been bringing. The red dot question, where are you now? And I want to ask you, where are you now? Is there something that is holding you back today? A group of people once went to ask a question, which links back to our issue of integrity. That question was, what are we here for? 
what does mankind exist for? And many of us know this as the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? And the answer was man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Or if we look at it a different way, the purpose, the design for which we have been created is for the knowledge of God and His enjoyment, our enjoyment of Him, and so doing, glorifying Him. Now, I want to read to you Psalm 119, verse 1 through 16. It's a little bit of a long section, but it's worth going into. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all of their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in His paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. All that my, my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life to your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please, don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Now, Psalm 119 has another hundred odd verses for us to go through. We're not going to do that today, but you're glad that I stopped right there. But there's a clear link that the author of this particular psalm makes between being grounded in God's Word, in His command, produces fruit of right living before God. But even in this upstanding, outstanding example of a pursuer of God, he cries out right in the middle there, please don't give up on me. He's making big declarations about the truth of Scripture and the true impact it has in our hearts, but he still cries out, God, <laughs> I'm not going to make it if you don't give up on me, if, if you give up on me. I'm going to fall short. I wonder if you're someone that has found that to be true of yourself, that as much as we want to make it, we fall short. You know, there's um, these boats they have that go around under the sea, submarines. You've, you've all heard of them. You know about them, right? But they're created with a hull, an exterior hull that is supported on the inside, but the exterior hull has to be a certain thickness, a certain strength, and a certain integrity right the way around. But if you have a damage in that hull, that whole crew is just going to implode as the pressure water breaks on in. And so many of us find ourselves in exactly the same place. Maybe a more refined example might be a crab. If you like eating crab, you get through the hard shell exterior and suddenly everything's soft on the inside and easily pulverized. What happens with you? Maybe you're somebody that has set a big exterior, a hard exterior that nobody can ever penetrate. And yet as soon as they do, life collapses. Maybe your life gets penetrated by someone in your family falling sick seriously ill, maybe with cancer or some other serious debilitating illness. Your world collapses. Maybe you lose your job and you put your wealth and your identity into your job, whole world collapses. Maybe your relationship breaks down, whole world collapses. Now this collapse is an indicator of something that happened much, much earlier in our lives. 
when sin began to rule on the inside. Because sin has compromised our underlying integrity. Sin seeks for us to live in a way that is not fit for the designed purpose. The corruption of sin has affected our hearts, the core of all of our strength. Because the heart is intended to be a throne for the Holy Spirit, but rather it has become a heart of stone made dead by sin and the desire for sin. Now these kind of hearts produce different attitudes, different responses. See, every person is still very much an image bearer, still very much created by God, created for a purpose, and so you will see greatness, you will see goodness, you will see love, you'll see compassion flowing out of somebody who at the same time will bring forth brokenness and harsh words and control and anger and rage. There's a conflict as we seek to see that which we're living on the outside line up with what we believe on the inside. Now, these attitudes are this, living like nobody's watching, number one. You know, Colin was just ribbing me about this a little bit earlier on, that, you know, I've got one of those faces where unless you catch me right in the act of doing something naughty, you would think that I was an angel. I mean, it's in my name as well, so. But this used to be so true. We'd be, sit in class, and me and my mate would sit on the back row, and we would have plastic, uh, we'd have elastic bands with pellets to fire at people. We'd have rulers. We'd have paper planes, everything. And as soon as the teacher turned around and is writing on the board, throwing paper planes at her, hitting each other with the rulers, firing pellets across the room, and she turned around, and everyone's like, and I'm just like, We live like no one's watching. But let's take that a little bit deeper. What if you get left in a room with somebody else's money? What if you're walking down the street and you see a wallet fall out on the floor and you see the person um, and then the wallet gets handed in at the police station like a good citizen except that there's no cash left inside? Maybe you're somebody that's looking at somebody else who's not your partner when you think no one's watching. You can do this experiment, just go sit on Notting Hill Gate and just watch every guy. Just sit there quietly just watching them and every girl that comes by will be like. As if no one's watching. I know probably some of you good Christian people here in the room, you've dealt with your swearing problem. You've dealt with the fact that blasphemy was constantly pouring out of your mouth using the name as Christ as a swear word, but you stub your toe in the morning. Hallelujah is probably not the first word to come out of your mouth. What about when you have a bit of free time and there's some great movies on, but you happen upon a movie that's inappropriate for a Christian? Nobody's watching. What goes on on the inside, the fantasies, the dreams of other people that are not appropriate considering your status or their status? See, a heart that has lost integrity begins to live like nobody's watching. A heart that's lost integrity begins to live like there are no consequences. You know, I have a weakness, a weakness for Jaffa Cakes. 
And, you know, when, when you're teaching on the morning, there's three hours of teaching, hard Bible studies. And, you know, in between, we get a few-minute break, 10-minute break and a 20-minute break. And the students used to spoil me by buying Jaffa cakes. Now, there's only one gram of fat per one Jaffa cake. But when you eat a whole pack in one day, then there's obvious consequences. So you know what I did? I said to the students, no more Jaffa cakes. I don't want any more Jaffa cakes. But then I'll walk into the kitchen when they're not looking. No one sees it. And I think there's no consequences. Now, <laughs> I'm learning every day about the consequences, and uh, I don't want to buy any more bigger suits. But that's a joke one to start us off, as always, with the more confrontational stuff. What about... The words that you say about somebody in secret. Oh, you know this person, you know. Let me tell you about their problem. Their problem is that they're having a relationship with so-and-so, but then also so-and-so likes them. And, you know, they've also got so-and-so's number and they're texting them regularly. And I, I, just, I just want to tell you because we need to pray for that person. But you know what? I, I wouldn't trust that person with my phone number, and please don't hang out with them yourself because, you know, I don't want you to fall foul of their bad motives. As if they're not going to find out. As if somehow there's not going to be the consequence of that person's reputation, their friendships and relationships, and maybe even a legitimate relationship that they're building gets destroyed by the fact that you couldn't keep your mouth shut. What about... Physical relationships outside of God's will. Not married, entering into sexual relationships. There are consequences which are directly evident right across this city. Unwanted children, broken marriages, broken relationships, sexually transmitted diseases. As if the consequences aren't going to happen to you. That's the way we live. You know, it's going to happen to everyone else, but not going to happen to me. That's a heart that's lost integrity. Another one, living like nobody cares. How often the devil lies to us about this, especially when you get into a cycle of depression. Elijah found himself in that kind of a cycle of depression, and along comes the enemy. Uh, you're on your own here. No one else has ever struggled with this. You're the only one that's loyal to God. How many of us feel exactly the same when we're struggling with depression or anxiety or fear? You're the only one. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody because, you know, then you'll show your weakness. Then you'll show your shortcoming. And we live as if nobody cares. And finally, living like you've lost sight of your values. I've done this personally. I'm sure many of you all have done the same. Where God does something exactly opposite to what you think he should do. Actually, what you've told him he should do. Maybe you've told God that so-and-so needs to be saved, so-and-so needs to be healed, so-and-so needs to, to, to apologize to you before you all apologize to them. So-and-so needs to give you a load of money, you know, one of the big ones around inheritance and family breakdown over money and the way that money's handled. God, God what happened here? Where, where were you at? Where were you at? Well, you know what, God? You don't, you don't look after me. I don't look after you. You know what, God? I know what will make you most angry. If I go and sin, and sin, and sin, and start drinking, and start sleeping around, and start hurting myself to get back at you, living as though we've lost sight of our value. 
and our values. Integrity begins to undermine, uh, the issue of a loss of integrity begins to undermine us in so many different ways. And then we come into the world. Now the world, much as they present themselves as a liberal, free society, etc., they got some of the strictest rules when it comes to living life. Especially, you'll have seen this as a Christian, right? Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, you Christians, I've heard you swear before. What are you doing in this pub? You're not supposed to be in the pub. And what are you, what are you doing wearing that fancy dress? You know, Aren't you supposed to be wearing sackcloth? That's the way that the world approaches us. You know, they say this. You've got to look good. You've got to be good. And when I ask you how you're doing, you better say I'm great because I don't want to hear about your problems. Don't tell me what's going on with you, please. Because I just want to know that you are all right, Jack. Pseudo-integrity. See, we know that there is goodness because goodness is derived from the maximally great being God. And we start to use that goodness, however, to start to judge other people. And especially when you enter into a moral environment. Religion is a moral environment. The Old Testament, for example, reveals a very high example of morality through God's moral, ceremonial, and civil law. And that can sometimes, if we just take that without other revelation of God and who He is, become afraid of God or become afraid of the people of God. You know, I learned something really interesting a long time ago. Is that you lot are everywhere. I can't get away from you. I'll give you an example. You know, I one time took a girl out for coffee. This was like nine years ago when I was early in the church, right? And I thought, you know, let me avoid Notting Hill Gate. Let me be real smart. I'll go out in, I think it was like Westminster, somewhere like that, and was walking across the bridge, and here comes a cell member. (laughs) In the same cell I was in, I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just walking, just doing my thing. And he just had the suspicious look on his face. Rightly so. Or, you know, sometimes you get on the bus and you just smile at everybody just in case. (laughs) One time I went to the doctor's just here to get my blood tested because we were going on a mission and I needed to get the injections and I thought let me get a blood test as well. And this woman was shaking. Like she was like literally, and I'm thinking, you're a nurse, you do this all the time, what is going on right here? And she took my blood and injected me and all of this stuff. And then at the end, she goes, I hope you had a good treatment there, Pastor. And I was like, who are you? What are you doing? I learned long ago that Kensington Temple people are everywhere. So you know what my solution was? Don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Otherwise, I'll get into trouble. So I don't do anything that I wouldn't do. But you experience exactly the same thing. You might not have Kensington Temple watching, but you might have London watching. You know, London is the most watched city in the world. Most number of cameras. You can't get away with anything here. But also with your friends. The moment you mention something to one friend, it goes all the way around and back it comes to you. Mention something to someone else, goes all the way around comes back to you. You apply for this job and you find out that your old boss has rung in to say, don't employ them. They're Christian. You know, and you begin to see that everywhere, we learn this real young. 
And what we do is we retreat into the integrity of self-preservation. A facade, a charade, playing the different roles that we are really good at carrying. You come into church in your Sunday best, wear your tie and suit, and everything's fantastic. I got money in my pockets. And then you pull out your wallet, and it's like 1P, 2P, 3P, and act like everything's great, but it's not. It's not. It gets tiring. Men do this whole lack of integrity piece really well. You know, the, the bravado, all of the jokes and the banter that goes on with the guys, but never getting deeper than a good joke. Or being as part of a group, but never giving an opinion, never leaning in to say something. When you're hanging out with your non-Christian mates and they take the name of Jesus in vain, you're just like, yeah, that was cool, guys, yeah. Let me not say anything. When you're hanging out with the football team or when you're hanging out down the pub or when you're at work with the lads, just accepting it, just watching it going on, never standing up, never speaking out, never confronting people in love, always confronting with anger, not taking on anything that you might fail at. You know, I know a lot of guys that are good at this. You know, I'm just not going to try it. When you ask them really why, why, why are you not going to do it? I, I don't want to fail. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to fall short. So let me just not do anything. Let me hope that no one notices that I'm not carrying the weight that I should as a man of God. Ladies do this real well. I know how it goes. Ladies, you can be happy in a group but feel lost on the inside. Smile and look at people as though everything's okay. But really what you're doing is waiting for someone to ask, how are you really? Not waiting for the answer is one of the biggest heartbreaks that we have. Nobody caring to know what's really going on on the inside. Not feeling safe enough to love people. Not feeling valued enough to be pursued. Not thinking that the invitation is going to be accepted. And in this moral environment in which we live, all of us layer on top of that our Christian I wish list. And we come into church and we get confronted by messages and, and, and sermons and all of this kind of thing. And you know what we say we should do? I, I know I should pray more. I know, I, yes, I'm going to buy that more than enough CD. And I'm going to real create a real worship life. I'm going to sing my heart out. And you know, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. And actually, actually, Colin read it four times a year. Let me try eight times a year. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write, read the Bible eight times a year. The Christian, I wish I did this list. But the problem is that all of these things become, on top of all of the other challenges of a lack of integrity, a legalistic restriction that inhibits our heart from becoming free to walk with Christ in the way that he intends. Just to be vulnerable with you, to kind of try and present a, a path to, to perhaps addressing this in your own life. Being a pastor is difficult. Because when you come in a church, there's an expectation of performance. Paul, bless him, thank God for him. But he wrote this list in 1 Timothy. Any of you read it? Qualities of a deacon, qualities of an elder, qualities of a pastor. Must be good at teaching 
must not be given to much wine, must be married to one wife, must be considered upstanding and faithful and all of these kind of things in the house of God. There's a pressure to preach well. There's a pressure to relate well. You know, I've been open with you over the time of my uh, challenges with being a loving communicator. It's always interesting to grow in these things. But you see, they can become such a restriction on genuine knowledge of God because we worry too much about what's going on with the way that people perceive us. Oh, you know what? That pastor, that pastor, you know, that pastor said something really mean to me. So what, you know what? I'm not going to be a real Christian until we see better examples in the church, better communicators in the church. You know, it's their fault. I'm going to make sure that and, and we feel the weight of responsibility of that. We feel the weight of responsibility of people coming up to tell us of our shortcomings as Christian men. I find myself recently regularly coming back to the place of asking myself difficult questions. Why do I do what I do? Now, I'm sure you'd like the answer. My answer normally would be because I want to bless people and I want to minister to them out of what God has put in me. It's a good answer, isn't it? But it's a bad answer if I find my security or my significance in what I do. For you guys, you might find that that's a great answer. That's a great motive. My pastor really cares about me. He wants to put together messages and words that will really encourage me and uplift me. That's so fantastic. But what if I'm thinking, God, I'm doing this because I want to be important in your sight. It's great for the church, but would God accept that as a reason for me doing what I'm doing? Would he? I don't know if he would. Why? Because my capacity, for me, of being able to do a lot of stuff and having a lot of capacity to get things done and rely on my own giftings is actually a weakness, not a strength. It's a weakness because... I don't need God to get things done, is the way I think. And I have to face up to that deep question regularly. Where is my significance in what I'm doing? Where is my alliance with God in what I'm doing? Because if it's not reliant and partnering with Him, then it's just external conformity. It's to keep the, keep the congregation happy. Would you like to be happy? With me, really? Or with any minister here, really? You know, there's a reason that pastors end up in blazes of glory, going out in blazes of glory. Divorce this, dating this, stealing money here, doing that there. It's because they don't ever practice transparency in their heart with themselves, let alone with the people around them. But what would you want? Would you want a pastor who would ask himself the difficult questions? Or do you want a pastor who does what he's supposed to do in public? It's an important question, and I'm presenting it like this because what about yourselves? What is the real issue? What is the Gideon fourth question issue for you? What is the thing on the inside that limits you from living this life of integrity before God? What is the hindrance right at that deep level? Because identifying that 
will start to lead you on a path towards being who God has called you to be. See, because there is a tautology, there is a tension between external conformity and internal renewal. And this is revealed most aptly in the law versus grace. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, it says, uh, the illustration of the temple points to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. Goes on to say, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. See, there's an issue with external conformity and internal alignment. And taking these verses from Hebrews 9 to provide a New Testament perspective on Psalm 119, which we read earlier, see, the law and sacrifice are inadequate for change of conscience. External, I will pray more, I will read more, I will worship more, I will give more, I will serve more, is inadequate for the change of your conscience. And without a pure conscience or an upright heart, it is impossible, impossible to honor God truly. You're sticking with the Old, Test, Old Covenant, Old Testament, rather than growing in the New Covenant. And that's what leads to the Pauline cry of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, I do that what I don't want to do, and that which I don't want to do, I do. Because we haven't understood that it's not about what happens outside, it's about something that changes on the inside. We need a new heart and a new renewed conscience to truly live before God. So when we think about that, Psalm 119, what we're saying is, God, I need to live your command in order to be righteous, but the command is new. And it's a new command that applies to all of us. It's a new command which we all know. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This flows out of the new heart, new spirit that is spoken about in Ezekiel 36. We preach about that in other messages that God puts within us. It sits in the context of God showing his love for us with verses like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's in John 15 verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Real integrity begins with a new heart. It begins with that Davidic prayer in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. It begins with transparency. It begins with looking somebody in the eye and not putting up the front. Living in such a way where you can look them in the eye and you say, I did sin. I'm sorry. I'm broken. Will you forgive me? It's living where you are the real you in the moment. Because if we can't walk in the level of transparency that, uh, that receives forgiveness, we can't begin to walk in the power of love. 
We walk in the knowledge of a new heart when we receive the forgiveness of God, which in turn empowers us to love. If we just try and love because we're supposed to love without a knowledge of what, what love is, with receiving forgiveness, we're just trying more of that legalistic stuff. But when we look at someone in the eye and say, listen, I let you down and I'm sorry. Will you help me be more like Christ and start to move forward? Then your integrity is starting to shine through. Then your integrity is starting to manifest itself. Because when we look at ourselves, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when we see ourselves in Christ, we see the righteousness of Christ is ours. And we begin to understand the deep revelation that the God whom we should fear in the correct way, the awesome God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who holds the entirety of the universe in the palm of his hand, that same awesome God draws near to you. That's why we fear him, because of his splendor, not because of his punishment. And alongside the fear of God, we see the love of God, the incredible love of God for us revealed in Christ on the cross. See, for us to walk the true Christian life, it's not about what we cannot do, but it's about freedom to do what we were made to do. That is love radically like Christ showed us to. So let's come back to the chief end of man, what we were made for. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. We do that in the utmost by living and loving like God. Scripture constantly exhorts us to be like Christ. If we were to choose in that moment to go back to the law, and I hope that some of you turn from the legalism that you, that you have in your hearts, but if we were to go back to the law, you would become the worst example of the law in Scripture. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, legalism is the worst case of God-likeness because legalism cannot affect change in the heart. And as much as you condemn someone, you will never ever free them to live like Christ on the inside because of your judgment. But rather, Christ calls all of us to a deeper way, the fullness of the new covenant, learning to love like God loves learning to be fully alive as we walk out in the power of God, loving people. See, that's the greatest fear. The greatest fear is if I love, will it not just get chucked back in my face? If I love people, won't they just slap me, abuse me, take me for granted, and throw me on the pile like everyone else does? No. They might try. But when someone greater loves you and empowers you to pour out that love, then integrity begins to flow in your life. Now let's look at the practicalities of this. Is integrity never ever having a negative thought? Heaven, no. Let me just lift that burden off of you straight away. 
integrity is not acting on them. It's not not ever having a negative thought. It's not acting on them. It's taking thoughts captive and submitting them to Jesus. Ladies, every time you feel fear, anxiety, worry about a situation, but choose not to walk out that fear by putting up the barriers, putting on a brave face, withdrawing from engagement and disappearing, that's integrity. And if you can learn how to do that and continue to partner with God and learn how to love like God, grow into an open woman who knows that God sees you and your desire is to glorify him in the way that you reveal him through love. Fellas, every time you face a situation where the reality is deep down, you feel like you've got nothing. Uh, I can't talk about my faith. I can't confront somebody about their sin because I'm sinning. I can't tell anybody that they've done anything wrong because they're probably going to chuck in my face what I did last time. I don't really know my word well enough or I don't really know what it is to be a man of God enough to be able to minister into that situation or even speak into that situation. Let me tell you what to do. Don't rush out with the action plan as your first line of attack. We discussed this in my cell and we were all going through some deep things and chatting through some stuff that I didn't even know guys could talk about. <laughs> Let's be honest. But right at the end, they were like, okay, dude, what do we need to do? Just give us the action plan. And I was like, that's just it. There's no action plan. What do you mean? What, what am I supposed to do? You're telling me to get going and move in with love, and, but at the same time, you're telling me to chill out, not do anything? How about you sit there and say, when someone says, what about this? Honestly say, I don't know. I haven't been through that. You know how guys are. They, they have an answer for everything. No, no, I don't know. I'm sorry. But then go away and sit with God and say, God, you know, I don't know. Do you know? Can you partner with me? Can we go and try and together explore a fresh reality with someone? God, I need you to go with me. I can't do it without you. Give me the wisdom that I need. That's a real different line of attack than just give me the action plan, just give me one through five and I'll get it done. No, no. Okay, God, I need you. Show me what to do. See, the one is effort, self-effort. The other is spirit reliance. Grow from there to be a man that knows how to move into the lives of other people with the love of Christ. You know how many men I've watched who could participate and don't. I once walked down the street and a car nearly ran someone over and the guy was leaning through the window of the car, punching the guy in the head. 50 people around. No one walked in to stop it until I got there. Men were standing there watching what was going on. What would it take for guys in the lives of their friends? I need to talk to you before you make the biggest mistake of your life. I need to let you know that this is not the best for you. I need to tell you that I'm here for you. What can I do? What do you need? That's practicalities. And they're going to manifest in certain opportunities that God gives us in the middle of life. Any of you got life opportunities to glorify God? 
maybe you are struggling with a time of grief. There's a way that God would call us to walk this out. Look at Job. Maybe you're struggling with a time of abundance. Now, abundance can be as much a struggle as lack because what do we do with what we have in a way that can honor God? Well, Daniel's got a great example there. What do we do when we are going through that internal wrestle? Do I really believe that I'm a Christian? Do I really believe in God? Do I really believe that God exists when we see the problem of evil? How do we walk through that as people that honor God in integrity? How do we walk through integrity in a time of temptation? Colin was looking at the issue of David and how he fell under temptation this morning. So many different ways where we can experience those I can't do except by the grace of God. I can't move forward except that I learn a partner with God in the life of the Spirit. I can't get this done unless I recognize that there is a life that God calls me to, which is the life that I desire, one of integrity inside and out, where I can love people as God calls me to love without feeling that, yeah. It's out there. It's possible. It's available for you. So that when no one's looking, whether, or whether they are looking or not, you're knowing, I'm living for God. I'm living in a way that honors Him. And you might throw the paper plane in the classroom. You might have a little bit of a laugh. But when it comes to the heart issues, you're honoring God. When it comes to the heart issues, you're loving people. When it comes to the things that challenge you and would seek to break you down, you say, God, I know in you I can get through this. Help me rely on you. Help me not to run after my own solution. Help me rely on you so that I can know how you would move in this situation and come to know your ways. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that there is an integrity that you have for us. And Lord, it's an integrity that will be brought out as we come to those places of that fourth question to get in. Where am I at with you, Father? What is really holding me back in my walk with you? And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would put in everyone's heart the boldness, Father, to ask those deep questions. Lord, that they would go to the place of challenge and, and consideration in their own hearts and own lives instead of blaming everyone else so that we can each be released into the call of God that is on our life, the purpose for which we are made for, to live out that which you have created us to be, spirit-filled human beings living to reveal God. And Lord, we ask you that you would give us the power and the strength that we need to say, I can only do this with you. I'm not going to take up my own capacities. I'm not going to take up my, my defense mechanisms. I'm going to seek to walk through this by the power of the Spirit of God. And Lord, that you would raise each one of us up to be a, man, a group of men and women who know how to reveal the love of God through the way that we live as that integrity on the inside aligns to the person who we are on the outside. And that we would reveal your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.